We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 17 of the That's So Mets podcast, and it's a fun one today, folks, because the Mets have made their first real free agency addition on this year's market signing reliever Trevor May to a two-year deal pending a physical, and we don't have the, the money necessarily yet, but May was definitely one of the top relievers on this year's market, and Steve Cohen has said it. This is a team that um, will not be handcuffed by not having a GM yet. They can make baseball moves right now because of the knowledge of a guy like Sandy Alderson in place, guys that are still on the staff uh, that handle personnel decisions. So, you know, it's not a George Springer or a JT Real Muto. Well, this is definitely a big deal, and it's something that's really exciting to talk about, as well as we'll cover the, the, te- uh, the tender deadline is tomorrow night at 8 p.m. If you're listening to this show on Wednesday, then it's tonight. And, um, you know, obviously we'll go through what's going on with the front office and answer your questions. But let's get right to it. Joe, the Mets make their first move. I got to start with asking you, number one, where did you have May necessarily ranked on this free agent market amongst relievers? And two, what are your overall thoughts on the move? What do you think of Trevor May as a player? What do you think his, of his fit in the Mets bullpen? Obviously, this was a need. So ranking-wise... There's an argument that they signed the second best reliever on the market. I think Liam Hendricks from the Oakland A's is without question the top reliever on the market. And then you have an argument as to whether it was Trevor May or Brad Hand. And you might lean Brad Hand because he has closing experience and uh, Trevor May is not so much there. But I love Trevor, Trevor May. I think it's an excellent move. Uh, we'll see what the money is. If I had to wager a guess, I'd guess two years, fourteen million, maybe two years, sixteen million. So somewhere in the range of seven to eight million a year, and two-year deals, perfect. I don't need to sign relievers for any longer, and you know you'll you'll get some one-year relievers, I'm sure as well. But as far as as a pitcher goes, Trevor May has made some changes the last couple years. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery, so he's got his elbow out of the way. He's all good there. We don't have to worry about that. Hopefully. And he, he has a rapport with pitching coach Jeremy Hefner uh, back when Jeremy Hefner was the assistant pitching coach with Minnesota. And one thing that Trevor May, when he was drafted and developed, he was a starting pitcher. So he had a full repertoire of pitches. He had fastball, curveball, slider, changeup, kind of your standard four-pitch mix. And in the bullpen, Hefner just told him, like, scrap that curveball. You don't need that pitch anymore. It's not really that great, and you know, you, you're you better off with a two, maybe three pitch mix out of the bullpen, and his velocity on his fastball has increased every year. He's averaged over 96 miles an hour in a fastball in 2020, and slider has a high spin rate, and another thing that's really interesting, if you look on Baseball Savant, 
he was in the 99th percentile amongst pitchers in strikeout rate and whiff rate, which is swing and miss rate, just generally. So this is a guy that misses bats. Um, his fastball, he likes to do fastball up and get guys to chase. He does a lot of that. Slider, you know, gets people chasing low and away. And he has a changeup that he will use sometimes still. Uh, usually it's more on left-handed hitters to keep them you know, off balance, but no, it's an exciting move. He's a guy that I think fits right in the eighth inning, if you so covet, or seventh inning, but he could be a very high leverage reliever for his team, and I think he's he's going to bring a lot to the table. So all in all, very good move. Uh, the one thing I'll, I guess, caution, the one not good thing about Trevor May, I mean, we have, there's not good things about everybody, but, you know, for him, he has... A history of giving up home runs, and that's not just in the juice ball year. He has a higher home run rate than average across you know across his whole career, and I think part of that is how he likes to pitch up with his fastball. And if you miss while you're trying to pitch up, you are now throwing right down the middle, <laughs> and people crush that in the major leagues. So you'll you'll he'll give up some home runs. There's no question about it. But all in all, I think you're looking at a quality seventh eighth inning reliever and. The Mets being able to pull this off at this point in the offseason is a job well done. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think when you look at it, you know, obviously Batanzas did not work out last year, and he was expected to be able to handle seventh, maybe even eighth innings at times. Uh, Familia's second tenure with the Mets has not worked out. He was expected to be able to handle seventh or eighth innings at times. Seth Lugo came out of nowhere to be a dominant dominant seventh and eighth inning even ninth inning guy they moved him to the rotation I won't get Joe started and we all know that you know they they need to get Lugo back to the bullpen if they do the right things uh by adding to this rotation so this was a need because I don't think you can just rely on Familia and Batanzas and and sure you know we feel good about Lugo we feel you know we'll say we feel good about Edwin Diaz those guys, those guys can finish games for you a, a lot of times, but you still need another bridge to get to them, and, and that is what May is coming here to do, and he's a strikeout pitcher. He's somebody that had a sub-3 ERA in his one year uh, with Hefner on that twin staff. Uh, you know, he's somebody with a zero uh, earned run average and four career postseason experiences, and, and let's not take that for granted. This is a team that's going to be looking at postseason production when signing free agents because they expect to be in the postseason every year going forward and that's something that joe and i really like about uh george springer and hopefully he'll be the next guy uh wearing that mets blue and orange but absolutely a a move that should not be overlooked a move that is super important and one that shows that they are going to be aggressive right there's not a lot of guys signing this early um, a two-year deal, I was talking about this with Joe off the air, a two-year deal is kind of the sweet spot for relievers because you don't want to go to three or four if it, you know, if the guy just doesn't have it anymore. We've seen that with Familia. You don't necessarily want to do a one-year deal for a guy like this because what if he's really good this year again? And you don't want to have to pay him more the following year or, or risk losing him. You want him in there. It, you know, You want to start building a little bit of a core in the bullpen for the next two years. So... I like that they they got this done already. I like the fit a lot. Uh, he seems like a pretty fun guy, <laughs> as we've seen from his streaming and 
DJing. And if you don't know what I've talked about, just go find his YouTube or, or the crazy trailer. I think Joe tweeted over it. It, it is absolutely ridiculous. So I, I think my question, you know, that I have to ask next, Joe, and, and maybe this is an overreaction, maybe this is just reading into stories. This to me seems like Jeremy Hefner had some influence on a guy like this coming to pitch for the Mets. Do you think the same thing can happen with somebody like Odorizzi who would fill a pretty big need in the middle of the rotation? If the Mets sign Odorizzi too, then there's no question that Jeremy Hefner has some clout here. Um, But I certainly, I'd have to imagine if the Mets were really paying attention that they asked Hefner's opinion. I'm sure Jeremy Hefner didn't pick Trevor May to be signed by the Mets, but I'm sure they, you know, were talking to his agent and thought they had a common ground on a deal and Sandy or whoever, John Rico, whoever he had reach out to Hefner probably said, hey, Jeremy, you have experience with this guy. What do you think? Is this a guy we should be trying to sign? And, you know, you take, there's knowledge all over this organization, even though they still have a bunch of people to add, you know, take advantage of the knowledge that you have. And he has intimate knowledge of Trevor May. So if Jeremy Hefner signed off on it, uh, I don't know that he did, but I I would guess so. Uh, that's that's a good sign. And Trevor May has obviously spoke uh, spoke glowingly of Hefner, so I think it, it's a good match. And like you said, uh, it's going to be good for a bridge for the bullpen. And May has experience in the seventh. He has experience in the eighth. He has a little experience in the ninth. So he's closed, you know, just a small handful of games in his career, but he's done it. So. You know, you could play matchups, and that's that's where bullpens are really heading across the game going forward is some teams have, you know, a true closer, but then there's some teams that just play the matchups. Maybe using Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning on a given day is better for because the guys that are up are susceptible to his slider. And then in the ninth— Oh, analytics? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Affecting baseball, you're yeah. telling me, Joe? <laughs> The, that you could do you, that. That's allowed. You can, and hopefully the Mets are getting more and more involved in in that. Uh, but May is certainly a person that a lot of analytics folks are high on because of pitching up with the fastball is something that in analytics is you know very endorsed, and then high spin rate on the slider. So and he gets a lot of swings and misses on it, and he throws that mid to upper 80, so, you know, he's not a DeGrom throwing a 93-mile-an-hour slider, but he throws it plenty hard and gets a good spin rate and break on it. So, no, he's he's an interesting arm, and I think grabbing him at this stage mostly settles your bullpen, I think, for the offseason. I'm sure they'll make maybe another small addition or two. They might try to get another lefty, but you might see for bullpen, it might be minor league deals for the most part going forward. I mean, there's only so much room on the 40-man roster, and like you said, as not great as Jairus Familia and Dellen Patances were, they're on big league deals. They're going to be here. There's That's it. Um, they're going to be a part of this bullpen. They're now going to be in lower leverage roles, but you know, the, there's not a ton of flexibility to add much more in the bullpen. And they obviously have to address center field. They have to address catcher. They have to potentially address third base if they want to. They have to address starting pitching So and depth overall. So they're, they have some work to do. So I think getting Trevor May out of the way says, look, this is our bullpen for better or worse for the most part. And uh, yeah, it's I'm glad they got that out of the way. Now they can move on to other needs. 
And speaking of those other needs, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the tender deadline is December 2nd at 8 p.m. And, you know, I, I've kind of sat here and texted with you like, hey, well, you know, why is this a slow market? I know baseball's always a slow market, but particularly slow. And this is definitely a very different year. But something you said to me was, hey, you know, keep an eye on the tender deadline as well, because some guys might shake free. Uh, sometimes it can, I would assume, reorganize or reaffirm your budget. A lot of different reasons. So as the tender deadline approaches very, very closely, what should we as Mets fans, Joe, be looking out for right now? So before I get to the tender deadline, John Heyman just came out and said that Trevor May's deal with the Mets is two years and about $15 million. So right smack dab in the middle of my you were guess. right on it. Yeah, so <laughs> you were right on it. Just about $7.5 million a year. Perfect. Um, but as far as the tender deadline goes, to really just explain this process, uh, so it's for arbitration-eligible players, and you become arbitration-eligible with three years of service time. In some cases, it's called Super 2. You'll get it after two. Um, that's not crazy common. Dominic Smith happens to be one of them. It's just based on when you're called up. But generally speaking, three years of service time, you become arbitration-eligible, which means you now can make real money, more than the league minimum. And you can do that for three years. And then after that, it, you're through six years of service time and you get to be a free agent. And you have, the teams right now have three choices. So today, and you've seen a few of them, the Mets actually did it with Jacob Barnes, who they claimed off waivers from the Angels about a month ago. You have uh, pre-arbitration deals where you give a guy a deal right now. So the Mets could do this with any of the people on their list, which I'll list off who they are. Um, you could do it with any of these guys. And when you do that, you have a tendency to be able to get them a little cheaper than what you might have gotten them for if you went through the whole arbitration process. But also these guys are taking a chance that they won't, they might be non-tendered. So like Jacob Barnes, for instance, he signed for a year and $750,000, $100,000 in incentives. He probably thought to himself, there's a possibility I would get non-tendered and then I fall into this vast free agent market and what kind of job am I going to find? So for him, you settle a little bit. Like Barnes might have gotten 850, 900K if he waited this out and the Mets decided to tender him, but... You'd also risk being non-tendered and maybe having to settle for a minor league deal. So taking the pre-deal gives you the ability to not get non-tendered, number one, and two, maintain your spot on a 40-man roster, which certainly is valuable. You, and, and then you also have the option of going through the arbitration process and either going to a hearing, which is you can't agree on a deal, but that's not very common. Generally, you know, I'll say that I'm worth five million. You'll say I'm worth three million, four million. Done deal. That's you know generally how that kind of stuff works. And then obviously you have the option of non-tendering someone. Which tomorrow by eight p.m., John Heyman, I heard him on MLB Network the other day, suggested there might be as many as seventy to seventy-five more free agents added across the game, which will put us in the neighborhood of 200 free agents. So there's going to be a... That's unprecedented, That's right? high. So 70 to 75 is high, and I think some of that is the financial climate that the league is currently in with so many teams looking to cut salary and 
and all that. You're going to see some decent players get non-tendered. People have speculated Chris Bryant. I don't think he's going to get non-tendered. I think he'll get tendered and traded. But there's speculation that a guy like Kyle Schwarber doesn't fit the Mets particularly. But just speaking, there might be some decent players that get non-tendered. Um, and so for the Mets, the list of players that they have arbitration eligible is Michael Conforto. I don't think they're going to non-tender him. Just a guess. Um, yeah, he's yeah I think around. he's good. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, Edwin Diaz, Steven Matz, Brandon Nemo, Dominic Smith, Seth Lugo, J.D. Davis, Ahmed Rosario, Miguel Most Miguel Castro <laughs> about fifth, about fourteen guys. So Miguel Castro, Guillermo Heredia, who people probably don't even realize is actually on the team, Robert Gazelman, Chase and Shreve, and then Nick Tropiano, who they also claimed off waivers. So on that list, I think the no brainer to be non tendered is Guillermo Heredia. No one really knows he's on the roster, so <laughs> I think he's kind of a no brainer to get non tendered. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if you hear them work out one of those pre-arbitration deals with Nick Tropiano, just like they did with Jacob Barnes, and maybe end up getting him for a little less and keep him around because they need starting pitching depth in the worst way. But with the signing of Trevor May, I am starting to wonder if Robert Gazelman and Joel Sherman even speculated Miguel Castro, and that would be very stupid, so I'm not going to mention that. But Robert Gazelman could be in danger of getting non-tendered here. With the addition of Trevor May, if they didn't, if they tendered everyone that I just named, the Mets forty-man roster over thirty percent of it will be made up by right-handed relievers, which is one of the most common currencies in the game. That is a lot. So something has to give here with the Mets. You know, with whether that's a DFA or two, trading somebody away, um, non-tendering. So a guy like Gazelman. I'd be a little worried if I were him uh, about being non-tendered, but I expect, you know, most most of these people to be tendered. Uh, I know there's certainly been a lot of discussion on Stephen Matz, should he be tendered or not? And according to Ken Davidoff of the Post, he is expected to be tendered and good. He should be. Um, the Mets don't have any starting pitching, and they should at minimum bring Stephen Matz to camp to compete for the fifth spot and. That's kind of what I expect to happen. But from the Mets' perspective, I don't I don't know how much action you'll see, but they'll uh, they'll probably end up non-tendering a couple guys, opening a couple forty-man roster spots. But the list of non-tenders is certainly something that we'll want to follow because you're going to see some guys cut that the Mets might have the opportunity to really clean up. You know that middle of the market. You know we want George Springer. There's no question. You know, we want these star players, but to really win, it's about building an entire roster. And you have to hit on those mid-level players. Mets whiffed on Jed Lowry. If they had DJ LeMayhew instead, things might have been a little different. You know? It, the money wasn't that different. It was different basically for those the same. I think four million yeah, dollar difference. So essentially nothing. So they just signed the wrong guy. So you have to hit on these mid-level players. You have to hit on these non-tenders that you end up bringing in. And then the stars, generally speaking, are going to be stars. You know, it's not like a star comes in and is much different. They just are what they are. So you have to use analytics and use scouting to determine who the right mid-level players are. And that's where I think the Mets have a chance to really clean up and just hope they pick the right ones. 
Yeah, and it, it, now they're casting a wider net as well, Joe, which helps, right? You know, the the Lowry signing was like, oh, this is one of our biggest moves of the offseason. I, I think you could see, you know, three to four of those kind of signings this year where the guys are on one-year deals, two-year deals. Uh, the annual average isn't anything over the moon. You know, like you said, it's, you know, George Springer, Real Muto, those kind of guys out there, they're going to get deals that indicate they are a building block for the future you know four five maybe six year kind of deals that you're going okay this guy is is improving our team uh defensively and offensively uh for a a pretty big window here that we're going to commit to while the other guys not so much and and going back to your points about the tenders and the bullpen Gaselman seems like the odd man out right it's just he's He's kind of had the Matt's, uh, ironically, he's had a little bit of the Matt's slope where it's like, okay, comes up, uh, you know, you could argue he definitely overachieved. I think he was a 13th round pick and impressed very early in his career and, and gradually got, unfortunately, worse and also injured. Him and Matt's have a lot of parallels now that I think of it. And quite frankly, in the shortened season last year, both imploded to earned run averages that are astronomical in baseball. So now, unlike Gaselman, Matt's Hesh, and you always fight for this, Joe, and I do agree, he has had a pretty good sample size to show when things are right, he's a good number five starter. It's just that, you know, last year was a disaster and there's been injuries and you hope that a guy like Hefner, as bright as he is, can really work with him. Well, we don't really have those expectations for a guy like Gaselman. So something that's interesting to keep an eye on. And also, you know, something I wanted to throw in here that we didn't plan to talk about. I found it interesting in the last week, Sandy Alderson on the radio, I believe it was Sirius XM, you know, and Sandy's a guy that knows how to speak to the media as well as anyone. He's been around forever. Uh, you know, he's very likable. He, he seems like a people person, but I actually think he was being honest when he said this. He, he said, listen, we're looking to, buy players in free agency to improve our holes and build our farm system and commit to our farm system. And the way he said it kind of made it sound like they will not part with their their big-time prospects to go get a player. And number one, I was happy to hear this because you and I love Francisco Lindor, and I would be beyond ecstatic if he was a New York Met in a couple months. But I'm not trading Matt Allen this offseason, this farm system has no top-tier pitching behind him, in my opinion. And, you know, we'll see JT Ginn, uh, we'll see Josh Wolf. We'll, we'll see what becomes of those guys. But Matt Allen's the guy that you feel good about. And if he has to be in that trade, it's I'm not doing it. You know, Francisco Alvarez, the catcher of the future. And sure, pro, I'm not a prospect hugger, right? I'm not sitting here going, you can't have this guy, you can't have this guy. But... I think the Mets can fill their needs with money. Like Sandy said, in this free agent market, they can go get their star center fielder. They can go get a star catcher. They can sign a good rotation. If, you know, and I don't think Cleveland has the leverage anymore to ask for a Matt Allen, quite frankly, in that deal. I mean, he's gone. He's not going to play for Cleveland anymore. And maybe he does this year and then they let him walk, which would be beyond insane. But they're not paying him. Everyone knows it. So I don't know what the leverage is unless there's that many teams in this climate that are willing to give Francisco Lindor $300 million. And I think that you can count on one hand the amount of teams that could even consider doing that. So 
I I didn't expect it to happen, but it still felt good hearing Sandy say that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Sandy Alderson, when at one point under his watch, and you know, obviously Tommy Tanis and Mark Tremuda and the scouting department do a great job, but at one point the Mets were a top five farm system in baseball. You know, most of the stars you see were drafted and developed by Sandy Alderson's regime. So at the end of the day, that's what he believes in. Uh, you just need to find, you just need that fine line between trading prospects and being a prospect hugger. Like you can't just keep everyone because not every prospect is going to pan out. So you have to be able to do the analysis of the prospects that say, okay, like you said, Matt Allen, Francisco Alvarez, totally agree. To me, those would be my two untouchables willing to discuss virtually anybody else. But I agree. You know, you have to find that fine line. You can't just be like, well, we need to build up a farm system because you don't win games by having a higher Baseball America prospect system ranking. Like, that doesn't that doesn't really mean anything in the scheme of things. So you have to just, you find that line. But no, it's certainly a good thing to hear that Sandy has an intention of building up the farm system because doing so is how you have sustainable success. That's how the Dodgers are built. If you look up and down the, the Dodgers roster, because like, you know, everyone on Twitter, right? Everyone's like, sign Springer and Bauer and then trade for Arenado and do all this. But if you look at the Dodgers, who to me are the model organization in baseball, how many outside free agents did they really go splurge on? Not really many. I mean, they got Mookie Betts and they have the money to do whatever they want. They got AJ Pollock and these guys are all homegrown. Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw. Cody Bellinger, you know, Corey Seager, all these guys were drafted, developed, and became stars for the Dodgers. And that's that's how you build a team that's in the hunt every year is draft well, develop well, create your own superstars, and then when the time comes, you just slide in that superstar player or two that, you know, push you over the top. And Steve Cohen has the money that at any given time if the right star is available, he could just pounce and do it. So, no, I, I'm with you. They need to they need to emphasize building up the farm system because right now it's a it's a bottom third farm system in baseball. So they they have some work to do. Yeah, and you know, you know, there's a lot of drafts ahead. They, I think, you and I have agreed that for all his faults, we actually have liked Brody's draft classes. I think significantly. You know, I don't. I don't know if we'll classify saying we love them, but we definitely were big fans of multiple players in those last two draft classes. So a little bit of development, um, some bigger signings on the international free agent market, and along those lines. And and this can get back to where it needs to be. But absolutely, it's there is a a very fine line. And transitioning, last thing in our rundown before we get to all the great questions everyone sent us over this last week. Joel Sherman had, and I think Joel does a really good job, but he had an interesting article about how, you know, classifying the front office search as a failure for Steve Cohen right now. I am adamant that I do not agree. I think that this was a tight timeline with the problems with the sale. If, if you want to be mad at anyone, you could be mad at the Wilpons one last time. Um, a tight timeline with the sale. I do think... They got blocked a ton. I don't think that. I know that. And maybe they, you know, overshot their hopes on some guys like like an Antonetti 
um, you know, or, or like a Chernoff. But uh, Joe, what was your? I know you had, you had some strong opinions when this came out. What were your overall thoughts about this? It's really a take, an opinion. So I think it's very wrong to call it a failure. I I, I don't think you could call it that. So they shot for the moon. There's no question about it. They tried to talk to Chris Antonetti. They tried to talk to David Stearns. Uh, they tried to, and frankly, they had permission to talk to Mike Chernoff. Mike Chernoff just didn't want to do it. So they got shut down by Mike Chernoff. It wasn't the Indians. Just, you know, you can't help it if people don't want to uproot their families. Uh, they got shot down by Chris Young, which is very weird, by the way. Um, but anyway, I don't know why you'd bother interviewing if you didn't want to do it. But uh, interestingly enough, I, I can't call it a failure. I'm critical and there's no question i think they misread the market i think they came in i think they thought this job was more desirable than it is that's what i think at this point in time this job i think over time will become very desirable but just because a guy came in with a bunch of money doesn't mean everyone in the world is just like please take me steve cohen you know it's the Mets still have perception, and Sandy Ellison said it best. I think it was in his opening press conference, or maybe it was on a radio appearance after, that you cannot change perception until you change reality. So the Mets are the Mets until they're not the Mets. That's how they're viewed in baseball. There's people that have an eye like, hmm, this is interesting. Now they have someone with real money that could play in this market and has said all the right things, and I think it did excite some people, but... Also, for a vast majority of people, I think, many are just like, let's see how this plays out first. Um, so calling it a failure, I don't agree. Did they misread? It's harsh. Did, did they misread things? I definitely think they did. But the, my only concern and my only criticism here is this has taken a very long time. And Sandy Alderson is capable of running the front office. And by all counts, it sounds like he kind of is running baseball ops now, which he's fully capable of doing. I'm not saying he's not. He's a Hall of Fame executive. I'd be, I'd be a fool if I said Sandy Ellison wasn't capable of doing this job. But I, I didn't really want him to do this job. I wanted him to come in, help teach Steve Cohen how to basically own and run, operate a team. And I wanted him to bring in a GM, and he has said this too, a GM that he can mentor and grow. And, you know, I, I had visions of this just going very differently. You know, we're on over a month. That is a long time to go through this process. You know, the sale took a little longer than expected, but what, like maybe a week? Like it wasn't like this sale was dragged on for a month more than we really expected it to. So it was pretty close quarters. It's taken a long time. And, you know, they're pivoting. I don't, the fun, the the whole, the Mets not leaking now is a great thing organizationally. But holy hell, does it suck? Because, like, the, perce the, perce We're bored. The, per the perception <laughs> would be different. Joel Sherman wouldn't be able, like, how would the perception be if I could tell you the six people the Mets interviewed? It would be a lot different. Because now you have names and you can actually, you know, assess these executives for what they are. All we know is they couldn't get any of the top guys, and Chris Young told them no. That's all we know. And that raises questions, understandably so. But for me, I hope and pray that they are looking for a young executive that Sandy could teach and groom, and he could become the great executive going forward. 
I don't want to hear anything about Theo Epstein. I don't want to hear anything about, oh, just don't, you know, don't worry about the hire this year. You know, what what has hurt them from my perspective is taking this long has, you know, hurt their ability to build the infrastructure that this organization needs to become that sustainable winner that everyone wants them to be and you and I want them to be. And it, it, you don't create a whole infrastructure in one offseason. I'm not trying to say that. But you build a significant core of it and then you continue to add as time goes on. As far as we know, and I think we would get word if this did happen, the Mets have not added one analytics person to this front office. The Mets haven't added anyone to a technology department. The Mets haven't added any assistants. The Mets haven't added a GM. The Mets have essentially added nothing. That is, on December 1st, to me, a little problematic. I don't think it's a failure, ultimately. They got Trevor May. They got Trevor May, true. <laughs> so that's the thing. But that is another thing. Sandy can run things as they kind of see through this process. But creating these infrastructures do take a little bit of time. So I wish they pivoted a little faster. Um, do I think it's the end of the world? No. But I think it's worth being at least somewhat critical that they are seemingly behind the eight ball a little bit. And, you know, they might hire someone tomorrow, for all we know. And this whole spiel has been useless. But on average, you know, teams are making these decisions in two, three weeks. The Mets are going out a month plus now. It's, to me, a little problematic. And, you know, you're not going to be able to bring in an infrastructure if, if you hire a guy next week, let's say, or even, God forbid, even later. But if you hire someone next week, you're going to limit your ability to bring in the necessary analytics people and things like that to really build up that infrastructure to have an impact on this offseason. And that that's a little worrisome, um, but I think you know they'll get there. Obviously, uh, I I just wish I just wish they moved already. Um, but you know that's that's kind of my that's my little complaint. But come on, Joel, it's not a failure. They failed to get the top guys on the market. Everyone else did too. You know that that's the nature of the beast. Teams hold on to these top executives like GMs that are not named Brody Van Wagner and hold on to top prospects. They, they just, they don't like to let these guys go. So, you know, it's, I have a lot of back and forth on Twitter about this, where I, I am a fan of Sandy Alderson, Hall of Fame executive. You know, I trust him, generally speaking. But to say that how this is going is not meeting expectations, I think it's fair to say. Joe, I think you just hate old people, to be quite honest. Sandy, Sandy passed the threshold. Now Joe's over it. He doesn't want Sandy making. I want. I want Sandy, you know, being involved. I understand their pivot was very smart, and I give them credit for the pivot. You know, they could have easily just cried that they couldn't get who they wanted, and but they just said, "All right, can't do it. Have to pivot." Sandy's gonna be a little more involved, but I they need to bring in a GM that is an assistant somewhere that is perceived as the next guy as far as becoming a GM and catch them early. I'm fine. I'm fine with Sandy being more involved now. And even if you grab a guy that 
maybe is a couple years away from being ready to be, you know, full on the guy of a front office, that's fine because Sandy's going to be here for another year or two and he could groom this guy and, you know, or girl. I I don't want to just make about that. It could be a guy or girl, but groom this person to really be that head honcho that can run this team the way it needs to be run. And, you know, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of doubt, but it's almost a blessing that Chris Young said no because to me, being smart is not really the qualification. If you are in a position of power in baseball, you're probably smart. So everybody's smart. Um, they just need to hopefully find the right guy and hopefully find him soon because they need to bring they need to bring some people in because the infrastructure is not just about the top of the chain. It's about everything. And you know when these GMs come, they in theory should as part of their presentation to become GM, have a list of people that they would bring with them. So maybe they have, you know, an assistant GM that they'd like to have. Maybe there's an analytics person or two that they'd like to add. Maybe there's a scouting person that they'd like to add. And, you know, they want to make their own imprint on the organization. So, yeah, we're there's reason to be critical, but calling them a failure at this stage is irresponsible. I agree. I mean, we're sitting here over three weeks away from Christmas, and there's a lot of offseason left right now in Major League Baseball, and there is a lot of days like today where we're going to jump on the mic, and we're going to just happen to go down on our normal recording day, but we're going to talk about a pretty big name that the Mets signed or a big piece that the Mets added, and I just thought about that, Joe. It is kind of nice that this was just our normal, timely episode. We've been sitting on pins and needles waiting for the next emergency episode, whether it's the GM, whether it's a Tier 1 free agent, whether it's a trade, whether a lot of things like that. So it's early, and I agree it's hard to be patient with the GM search because that's something we thought would have been done probably two weeks ago. And we're also kind of in agreeing that, you know, I would have given him a chance, but Chris Young wouldn't exactly be the hire that, you know, would it'd be interesting to say the least, but I would like to see them go a route of somebody uh, with some front office experience that Sandy can, can take to the next level or has contacts to bring in with them. That's a very good point you made. You really want somebody to be able to build maybe not their dream front office, but establish a foundation in the front office. The Mets are in, a rare fortunate position where the guys that have run the draft with Sandy in his first Mets tenure survived the Brody years because they were really good at their jobs and are now here, right? So the guys that run the draft, that's a really good, strong foundation the Mets have in place here. The Mets have Sandy Alderson. They were lucky he was willing to come back because of his relationship with Steve Cohen. That's a really good foundation. But now you do need to find the next leaders of the personnel side of things for the pro club, um, you know, at, at a, a prestigious spot like general manager and eventually assistant general manager. So things like that, that are, that are really vital, but let's get to some of your questions here. And, and the first one I touched on this earlier, but we could definitely address it um, again in a different way. This is from Kevin Chamberlain. Does Alderson's latest comments in regards to trading prospects Signal that a Lindor trade is off the table. I would not go that far. And I said this earlier. I think Cleveland does not have a lot of leverage right now. I'll tell you right now what you need to keep an eye on. Nolan Arenado as well. If he gets moved to a club, and obviously it's going to be a club that can take on a lot of money, 
that probably eliminates that club from the Lindor sweepstakes where it's if he goes first, it's one less partner for Cleveland to dance with, and they don't have a lot of options right now. And I'm not sure if the Mets are, you know, all in on getting Lindor, 80%. 20%. I think it's somewhere where they're probably sitting there 50-50 if the right opportunity presents itself, of course. Now, once again, I think it's it's a really good opportunity, right? You're not sitting here. I don't think it costs a Francisco Alvarez. I don't think it costs a Matt Allen. And that might be Sandy signaling to those teams that have these high contract kind of players that, hey, if you call... We're not giving away our top one, our top guy, our top pitcher. You know, I'm sure they would make a, a Nimo available or even a Jimenez because you're getting a top player at his position. But I, I don't think that I think it's I think it's truthful that they're not they don't feel that the opposing clubs have the leverage to acquire a Matt Allen from them this offseason. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's off the table. I, I don't think anything is off the table. You mentioned Nolan Arenado. I think he's solely on the table here, too. I don't think—I just think Sandy's putting out a message that says, look, we are not going to just—just just because we have money now and we have an owner that insists he wants to win really quickly, uh, that doesn't mean we're now just going to forego the long term for the short term. So they're going to— be careful about what they deal. I'm, I'm sure they're going to make trades, and I'm sure they're going to trade prospects, but they're going to be firm on what prospects are unavailable, and if that takes them out of the Lindor sweepstakes, then it takes them out of the Lindor sweepstakes. I want him really bad, but like, like I said, I don't want him if the expense includes Francisco Alvarez or Matt Allen. Anything else, you at least have my ear, uh, at least prospect-wise, but... No, I don't think it's off the table, but maybe it just, you know, moves a little further down the pecking order than maybe we thought it would. But no, and that's the way they should be. The The Dodgers for years, I'm going to harp into the Dodgers every chance I get. They've turned down trades to get superstars for years and years and years because it would cost them a Caber Ruiz, a Corey Seager when he was a prospect a uh, Dustin May. I almost said Trevor May. They have Dustin May. We have Trevor May. Um, But, you know, those guys have been asked about and the Dodgers have said no. Even going for star players, they won't trade them. So that's where the Mets need to be. They need to set a standard of, all right, in the right deal, you know, in the right deal, maybe they'd move a Brett Beatty. In the right deal, maybe they'd move a Ronnie Mauricio. But, and maybe they have a different opinion than I do about Matt Allen. I hope not, because I think I'm right. But, um, yeah, no, I, th- I think ultimately it's not off the table, but I think you're just going to see them be a little more careful about what prospects are moved. And a guy like Arenado, you might be able to get him with lesser prospects because he's not a rental. I mean, he has the opt-out. I don't I don't know if he would use it. I don't know if you can opt yeah, out of that deal. I, right? I don't know if you can. It's mega yeah, money. Yeah, it's mega money. So like he's he'd be walking away from $35 million a year, I think it is. And that's a lot of money. So you have to weigh if you want to take that on, number one, because you may not even want to. But if you do, or you have to take on a, a good chunk of that, the return should reflect that. Like the met, Like the opposite of what Brody Van Wagenen did. The Mets taking on Robinson Cano, or the bulk of that contract, 
should have negated the availability of Jared Kelnick in those talks. Period. That's what should have happened. It didn't. And now we're out on, you know, potentially a really great player. And Sandy needs to be smart. And Sandy and the GM, whoever they bring in, because calling Colorado about Nolan Arenado and saying, hey, maybe you tell them you have to take a Jairus Familia back because, you know, we need to send some money back your way. And that clears $10 million of Arenado's salary this year. Or maybe you say, hey, you have to take Familia and you have to throw us cash in the future because we're not paying this guy $35 million a year. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you could go about it. But, no, I don't, I don't think anything is off the table with the Mets at all. Just a matter of finding the right I thing. like Arenado, yeah. and he's undoubtedly the best glove at third base in he's baseball. He's the best defensive player in pro- baseball, period. Yeah, yeah, it's probably going to be that way for the next four years, honestly, even with him turning 30 eventually. Like, I think pretty soon. I know he's 29 right now. He'll be 30, I think, next season. It's a lot of money. Uh, and I'm, I know everyone said, who cares about the money anymore? What I mean by that is, will that money make any sense when he's 33, 34, away from Colorado? I don't know. And maybe I'm wrong. I love the player. But I don't know if that's your splash right now. Maybe I'm wrong. I just, I look at it. There's part of that whole, you know, you're obviously giving something up for him, number one, which is... And I, I I think the issue of it is that Lindor is available, and and you really uh, opened my eyes to this one, Joe. Is that you know his age, obviously his defense at shortstop, the speed which this team this team has lacked consistent speed in the lineup for a very long time now. It's kind of bizarre. The Mets used to be like a a team with a ton of speed and played good defense, and then they turned into this like power hitting you know queens bombing kind of like no speed no defense team (laughs) out of nowhere and i'm not saying it didn't work they got to a world series they had pitching but it's just interesting to me it's so hard to find a balance so i don't know that's a tough one with arenado I, i once again i would love to watch the guy play for the mets i just look at the actual structure of the deal and and the risk you're taking on and think there might be some better solutions out there instead. And to be honest with you, like you said, people saying money, money matters. Money a hundred percent. It does matter. Yeah, Let's make that a hundred percent matters. Just because Steve Cohen's really rich Yankees. doesn't mean he's going to get every player he wants, pay whatever. And if a guy sucks, oh, well, it is what it is. He doesn't want to eat money either. You know, he's, he may not be in this to make money, but I don't think he's also in it to lose a bunch of money either. So, you know, they're going to spend. There's no question about it. They're going to, you know, be right in that luxury tax range going forward. I, I fully expect that. You know, maybe there'll be years where they go over and there'll be years where they're a tick under. And, you know, that's that's going to be the way it is. But, no, it, money money absolutely matters because the last thing you want to do is worry so much about right now and creating headlines and just exciting the people and saying, Look at us. We got George Springer and Nolan Arenado. Yay. Like, that's good. The Mets are going to be better because they have those players. But in four years, does that limit your ability to go after blank player or three years? Does it limit your ability to extend someone on your own team that you really want to keep? Because Michael Conforto wants money real soon. Noah Syndergaard, if he comes back healthy, is going to want money. Both those guys are free agents next year. So you have to be cognizant of paying your own and spreading the wealth financially, you 
the winning strat yeah. the winning strategy is not going out and getting all high price players in free agency and trade. That is not a winning strategy. That is a strategy that has a high likelihood of biting you in the ass a little bit. You know, George Springer, he is my guy. I want them to sign him. He's probably going to take a five-year deal. And there's a chance the end of that deal, we're not happy that he's still here. But I think he'll be really good for a bulk of it. And, you know, that's ultimately where they have where they have to reside. But you have to be careful about where you spend your money. And, you know, you have to plan this out. Baseball payrolls, you're planning them out five, six years in advance. So you really have to think big picture. It's not all about right now. Getting the headlines, all that stuff now is wonderful. But that you have to make sure you're making the right organizational decisions. Well, and, and Conforto is just, you know, that has to happen. I'll just 100%. say it right now. Unless, yeah. unless he doesn't want to be here, because I said this early with, you know, at one time with Jamal Adams, where I was like, you know, it seems like a deal that the Jets have to get done. And then it turns out he, quite frankly, just had would do anything to leave. I don't think that's the case with Michael Conforto. Let me make that very clear. It has to get done. And it's probably, what, Joe, $27 million per year? Yeah, in the future, it might be something or in that age. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of money. Twenty five to thirty. It's gonna be a lot of money, and he's twenty seven. And guess what? He's worth it, every bit of it. And you know, I it's that simple. That has to get done. So that's something that has to be factored in when you think about where you're allocating big time money for offense in your lineup long term, because that's that's a big piece of this thing. So the next question actually relates to all of this in the other side uh, from Jim D really good question here. Who is more valuable in a trade package from other teams perspectives between a Rosario, JD Davis and Brandon Nimmo. Now, Joe, I'm going to let you answer this first, but I will uh, just give some background info here. JD Davis is under team control for the next four years, which is a long time. And Brandon Nimmo is under team control for the next two years. And I think those guys are where the argument is between. I don't consider Rosario on those levels, but if you are wondering, Rosario is under team control for the next three years. Yeah, so great points. Um, The only thing, I would say J.D. Davis, number one, but the reason I'm going to go Nimmo over J.D. Davis is I don't know how J.D. Davis is really... I don't know how other teams feel about him. He doesn't really have a position, right? Like he kind of plays third base and kind of plays left field. Um, maybe he has to learn some first base too. Uh, he can hit, so he could DH. So I think that hurts him a little bit. Um, but for me, I think trade value-wise, it would go Nimo, J.D. Davis, Rosario. Ooh, man, it's not easy. I, Rosario is last. I'll make that clear. That part's easy. Um, you know, quietly, and we overlooked this because he had some huge hits. The guy's clutch. J.D. Davis was kind of disappointing in this shortened season. He hit 247. Now, he got on base at a 371 clip. You know, hit six home runs. I, I don't know, Joe. I think we expect more power out of J.D. than that, personally. 19 runs driven in. He's a guy that doesn't run well. You know, you're not getting speed on the bases. You're, uh, you know, the strikeouts, I believe, are, are somewhat high. So, and like you said, he's a man without a position. I like J.D. Davis a lot. I think that he has pop. I think that he's clutch. He has a great attitude. Yeah. Great fit. I think I would, 
I think I would roll with JD as being the most valuable. Four years of team control. Like I said, I think he's got pop. I think he gets on base enough. I will say it's it's pretty close. Nimmo, it's tough because Nimmo obviously gets on base at an alarming clip. Consi- and now we've seen it Oh, he's consistently. He, he's right? got one of the like, best eyes in baseball, period. Like it's yeah. it's who he is. I mean, you know, with JD, he's been on the Mets for two years. The first year was really, really impressive. Kind of came out of nowhere. A rare Brody Van Wagenen win in a trade. Yeah. And this shortened season, he, he underwhelmed a little bit. Now, Nimmo, you know, we, we've seen plenty of years with him on the Mets, five years now, which is why he is the least team control yeah. out of all of them. I mean, Nimmo gets on base at, at around a 400 clip, which is just insane that that's who he is. And... Runs pretty well. Not great, but runs better than J.D. And he hits for some pop. He hit eight home runs yeah. last year. J.D. hit six, you know, and, and Nimmo played one less game. And if Nimmo's playing and so, if Nimmo's playing left field, it, it's a drastic change to his value. He's a plus yeah, left fielder. It's a drastic right? change to his value. He is. Yeah, he's not He's, a, he's not a good center yeah, fielder. And that's not his fault. He just but he, you're right. Yeah. He's a corner outfielder. Yeah. So it's tricky. I think if you're a team. It's tricky. You know, let's use Cleveland as an example yeah. because I've gone through this exercise before with one of my buddies that's a Cleveland fan. You know, to me, I always sit there and go, well, JD's perfect for this trade because JD's under team control for four years. Cleveland likes that. They prioritize that. But his argument was, hey, we need corner outfielders right now. We don't need infield. We got guys coming up to play the infield even after we trade Lindor. And, you know, and JD's, his fit is really, his his fit's at third or first or DH, like you said, Joe. He he looked lost in left field. Good arm, strong arm, but, you know, whatever. That's If you have no range, that often doesn't yeah. matter, unfortunately. So it's it's tricky where I think Nimmo will be valued the most from your your clubs that feel okay with only two years of team control. Yeah. It depends who you're trading with, too, right? If you're trading with a team that's just looking to win right now, their priority might be someone like Nimmo, and they don't worry about the team control. If you're trading to a team, let's call it Pittsburgh, that's rebuilding, maybe they're more interested in a guy with four years of control and you know figuring out his position. And to be honest with you, from my perspective, I think if you want to trade J.D. Davis, this might be the last chance you get <laughs> before the value the value might even crater further because you're seeing teams the league's kind of starting to change back to caring about defense again and J- and speed a little bit more. yeah and you have to be able to run a little bit you got to be able to play a couple positions you have to be able to field those couple positions so i think if the if the mets want to capitalize on maximum jd davis value it might be this offseason so I wouldn't be surprised. And if I were the GM of the Mets, I love JD. I think he's a great clubhouse fit. Like you said, he has pop. Um, he's certainly a, a fine player. But he'd be, if I'm shopping a major leaguer, he'd be near the top of the list of people that, like, you know, if I'm trying to go pursue a Nolan Arenado, hey, you're trading your third baseman. I got one for you. A cheaper one that's going to be there for four years. Maybe J.D. Davis could be a prime piece for an Arenado trade if they want to go down that road. Or if they're looking to trade for starting pitching, there's word that Joe Musgrove might be available from Pittsburgh. And maybe J.D. Davis is a fit there. Um, I think I read in The Athletic that Lance Lynn is going to be available from the Texas Rangers. and I saw that too. That surprised me. Yeah, They're kind of... A team that's going to go into a little bit of a rebuild and a 33-year-old, 
or 32-year-old pitcher on the last year of his deal. I understand it. Um, you know, a guy like J.D. Davis could fit there. I mean, they're – Man, I like Lance Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's my Lance Lynn yeah. tidbit for you. Lance- though. I think the one year they asked him, you know, he came back and he, he lost a ton of weight. And they said, you know, what'd you do? And he's a huge guy, mm-hmm. by the way, for people that don't know. Lance Lynn's like 6'6", 250. And I think at the time he was like 285, and he had lost, He got down to 250. And they said, you know, what'd you do? And he said, well, instead of beer and pizza every night, I switched to uh, vodka instead. <laughs> that was his diet. That's great. Hey, beer beer gets, your, gets you in the gut, that's for sure. <laughs> I like Lance Lynn. Yeah, no, but J- I, <laughs> Lance Lynn would be a fine addition because I think the Mets are going to make one more real starting pitching addition, addition. I think it'll be mostly depth after that. Um, but JD should should be someone that's on the trade block, in my opinion. It's it's one of their rare pieces that they can afford to lose, yes. right? You look at it like, and that's why you know this kind of shocked people when it came out when the Ozuna news came out. And I'm not sure how much I actually believe the Mets are like, you know, in on Ozuna. The point was, and I, I one of my buddies texted me and I said he's like, this doesn't make sense, and I'm like, well, what they're doing is. They're giving themselves insurance options if they do pull off a trade where maybe they gave more pieces than they expected. You know, say you you do include JD and Nimmo in a trade. Maybe you do call on Ozuna and say, hey, if his market is here on another one-year deal, can he come in DH for us and maybe play left once in a while? You know, those are the things that you're looking at in those kinds of scenarios where it's not that they're top priority guys. They're, they're backup plans. So I, I do think the Mets understand that JD is one of their rare uh, major league ready trade ships that they have. And quite frankly, this is my argument against, you know, against Brett Beatty all the time. It might just be blocked, right? Like you look at it and you go, you know, obviously there is room for JD to play right now, but you know, it's my argument that after some acquisitions, say they get Springer and Nimmo plays left. Is JD playing third and DHing every day? Well, Dom and Pete are going to DH at times. You know, so and maybe he does play third. Maybe they don't make a signing there. But it's just the point yeah. that it's you can't afford to lose him and you could still feel the right. team. And JD might just be square peg round hole here at this point. I mean, if if the Mets are planning to sign a George Springer and move a Brandon Nimmo to left, like you said, defense is gonna become more of a focus. And Sandy Alderson has even said so. He said, you know, we're gonna start caring about defense. Jeff McNeil being able to take over at second base is a great defensive upgrade. Andres Jimenez being the shortstop is a really good defensive solution. And as long as they go through with the DH, having Dom Smith at first base is a great de- uh, defensive solution. Dom's a great glove. Yeah, so they're, yeah. they're in a good spot defensively. So you almost have to wonder, you know, maybe they just say, look, you can't be great defensive everywhere, and, you know, we'll we'll work with J.D. and make it as good as we can. And if J.D. is the third baseman, it's not like any of us are going to be crying that the Mets have a bum at third base. Um, but... I wonder if he's kind of square peg round hole in the direction that the Mets are going. It's possible. All right. So the last question, because this is more about additions, uh, from Justin Carroll. And it's something I actually hadn't thought of until now. Will one of the free agents that signs with the Mets break David Wright's record contract? Now, David Wright's record contract with the team uh, was for seven years and $138 million. Now, I believe it was actually you know, seven years and 122 million. And that extra 16 came from a club option that was picked up that year. So 
the answer is if it if we go by the 122 number, I say yes. I think whether they get Springer or Real Muto, and I really hope they get one of them, and I, I do think they will. Maybe I'm just being way too optimistic now. I think those guys break that number. 138? I don't know. I, you know, me and Joe have kind of kicked around 5-125 for Springer. J, uh, Real Muto? I, I think Real Muto, because he's a catcher and, and because there might be more teams in that sweepstakes, maybe maybe he hits 150. It's tough. I, I'm going to say, though, that if I had to choose a side, I do think the number gets broken. If we're going 122, I think it's going to be really close. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'll, no, I think it'll be close. I don't, I don't want to say absolutely. Really? I think it'll be close. I, I'm looking at guys like Spring and Rail Muto in the, let's call it five years, 120 to 125, maybe 130 at most. But it's really in that range. So I think it'll be close. But if you, if you go by the 138 number, I don't think the Mets are signing someone that tops 138 this offseason. Yeah, that would be... Do you think anyone gets that this offseason? Like, do you think Bauer, you Bauer, think Bauer might if he want yeah. if he want five one fifty? Yeah, if he wants to cash in on that long term deal, I think Bauer will top, uh, you know, one thirty eight for sure, and probably one fifty plus. It's just a matter of what he wants to do. No one knows. Bauer is a wild card. He could sign a one year deal for forty two million dollars, or he could sign, like you said, a. Uh, Five-year, $160 million deal. It really depends kind of where he's going. But if I had the wager, David Wright's record will stand for one more year. As long as it's 138. As long as it's 138. 122, they'll they'll beat it, but not 138. Conforto will shatter that. There you go. Yeah. We we, we didn't say it had to be a— It didn't have to be a free agent, I guess. You know, their own guy could do it. I hope they are a little more proactive to get that one done now. I don't want to be sweating Scott it. Scott Boris, man. You know, that, I, w- I what know. I would say is when it comes to a, an extension for Conforto is be patient. Extensions typically don't happen this time of year. Those are typically discussed at the end of the offseason and in spring training, generally speaking, because teams are saying, look, our pride, like you and I both believe keeping Michael Conforto long-term is a priority. There's no question. But they still technically have time to do that. So they need to make sure they fill their holes that they have to this offseason first. So they'll circle back on Conforto. And uh, Tim Britton at The Athletic yesterday had a chat with fans. And someone asked them, would you put well, would you put the odds over or under 50% that Michael Conforto has an extension by opening day? And he said over 50%. So... Uh, I think it's going to be a focus. It's promising. And Sa- Sandy mentioned him in his opening press conference as, you know, like these are the kind of Mets guys. So I think he's a prime focus here, and I I think something will get done, but I don't think it's something that you should look forward to having done this month or maybe even early next month. That's probably more of a later July to early February type of thing. All right, review of the week to close out the show. This is from Community Property. Joe, I'm going to let you take this one away since you got to pick this week. Yeah, no, and we really appreciate all the reviews. Uh, I I'm, I look at every single one, and we've gotten a lot in the last week. So I I couldn't I couldn't thank you guys enough that you take the time to listen to me ramble and Connor just try to lead a conversation. And you know, just man, I love talking about the Mets, and it, this is a great outlet for me. But yeah, keep those reviews coming, five stars, please, and you know. 
leave what you want to say. We're going to read a review every week. And, you know, if there's a week with low questions, maybe we'll read two. But the review of the week from Community Property. This has become one of my favorite podcasts I listen to. Not just sports, all podcasts. I'm a massive Mets and Jets fan and learned about the podcast following Connor on Twitter. Each episode is a terrific listen, full of insight I can't find in articles or on Twitter. I wasn't familiar with Joe before, but he's extremely passionate and knowledgeable about all things Mets and baseball. The way Connor has made me excited about the draft and the Jets. Connor, you get people excited about the Jets? Congratulations. Uh, It's not easy, Joe. (laughs) Joe makes me excited about the Mets and their prospects. That inspired me to learn more about the team and the farm system. Most importantly, these guys are level-headed when it comes to the analysis, so I've learned a lot just by subscribing. Would highly recommend you listen. That was very nice. You know, great review. Great review. Really appreciate and that. And really appreciate what everyone said. And, you know, just because I didn't read your review does on air, I read every single one of them. And we'll work on the picture that apparently is blurry in the podcast. So we saw that one, too. Uh, <laughs> that was a good yeah. one. <laughs> but, no, for sure. Uh it, it means a lot to have the early support that we're having on this podcast. When we started it up, we didn't really know what to expect. We knew that, you know, I had a baseline of following of Mets people and Connor had a baseline of following of football and Jets fans, which tend to be Mets fans as well. So we thought, you know, it was a really good uh, mesh. And I didn't know that, you know, 17 episodes in, we'd get all these five-star reviews and people saying all nice stuff about us. So... No, it, it's greatly appreciated and, you know, mo- really motivates, right, to see how everyone say this is, you know, let's, we're going to keep doing this, you know, every week we ain't stopping. So that's so Mets, you know, we want to make it as big as we possibly can. So, you know, please, you know, share with your other Met fan friends to give it a shot. And no, we're just extremely grateful and reading words like that. It's, it's actually crazy to read. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. And, you know, I really can't thank the people enough that have taken the time to leave us those reviews. It helps the show, um, and it helps to know what you guys like, honestly. That's the most important thing. Yeah. It's feedback. Yeah. It, even if it's even if you want to leave a good review, but there's something you don't like or you want to see more of something else that we don't cover, uh, write it in there because, you know, we'll, we'll use that as great, you know, feedback to make the show bigger and better, and it's been fun to see the show grow. Not just the numbers, but the interactions on the Twitter account, That's So Mets Pod, and, um, you know, me and Joe's Twitters. So just keep that stuff coming. Uh, A fun show that we got to cover, a a free agent signing that we think is going to make a big impact on the team. And and that certainly won't be the last one. So, Joe, closing thoughts, episode 17. Awesome episode. Uh, Stay tuned. You know, over the next 24 hours or 26 hours at this point, you know, there's going to be a lot more free agents becoming available. So, you know, stay tuned to Twitter and, you know, we'll maybe next week we'll talk about some non-tenders that really intrigue us. But, you know, the off season's getting started. The technical winter meetings are next week. I don't I don't think it's going to be as active as the normal winter meetings are because guys aren't at a bar having a couple beers and then going and talking trade or talking contract. But, you know, you're, we're getting we're getting there, guys. You know, it's going to be a, a bit of a slow winter. There's no question about that. But, you know, we're we're getting closer and closer to where activity is really going to start taking off and the hot stove season's going to fly. So uh, really appreciate everyone listening. And, yeah, can't wait for next week.
That's right. And maybe we'll even have a GM to talk about one day. Who knows? But (laughs) all right, everyone. Episode 17 in the books. We'll catch you next week. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.